Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Hi folks, it's Coot here. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, I am once again very thrilled, very excited uh, to introduce my guest today. She is a highly acclaimed author artist, speaker, teacher, millions of books in print. Uh, I read, you know, I read her books. It must have been, I was thinking 15, but it must have been 18, 19 years ago. You know, right a couple of years after I came to the U.S., I was in a bookstore called the Bodhi Tree Bookstore on Melrose in Los Angeles. Those of you that are familiar with L.A. And I found this crazy, artistic, amazing looking book, and it was filled with just wisdom and gems and nuggets and so simply put, but so powerful. And it was literally unlike any sort of spiritual book I'd ever read, and I'd read a lot of them. And, and I felt so inspired to, to read this woman's books, and I read one of her books and another book. And, you know, she has books like Succulent Wild Woman, Glad No Matter What, Succulent World Love. Uh, the Bodacious Book of Succulents, Transformation Soup, Prosperity Pie, Make Your Creative Dreams Real. Check this one, Eat Mangoes Naked. And so as I read some of her books, I was just inspired over the years and I've always wanted to meet this incredible soul. And folks, today is my lucky day, but it's also your lucky day. She is a mas- magical sage. And uh, check this, she wrote her first book, and I have some questions for her on this, at age 10. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to Soul Talk, the amazing Sark. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Coot. Thank you for being a, such a soul who talks oh, and I, such um, an ebullient, uh, generous spirit. Thank you so much. I feel, I feel like I'm literally meeting an old friend, right? Because... In many ways, you've been with me for many years. You know your 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 book covers, your art. It's been it's been literally somehow it tattoos in my consciousness. So, like uh, when you said yes to coming on Soul Talk, I was I was really 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 thrilled. And so, listen, I have I have so many questions I want to ask you, but I, I want to just start as just a set of context for those that may know of your work, may not know of your work. I know you also have a memoir coming out, and so a new memoir. So. I would love for you to just kind of set a, set a tone for a bit about who you are, your journey. I mean, how, how did Sark become Sark and writing books at age 10? And clearly this sort of creative thing was in your, you know, in your heart from a very young age. But how, how does it go from being a kid to then writing and speaking and millions of books? Like, tell me a bit about that journey. Was there a moment, an event, something that occurred that inspired that? And how did you get to this point? In an, in, in, in a oh, scene. yes. Yes. Well, let's all travel to Minneapolis, Minnesota, wow. uh, where I was living when I was at, and I came home from first grade. I have this, had this wonderful family. I had a wonderful mom. I came home from first grade and said, mom, show and tell should be me every day. Mm. And she said, no, honey, the other kids need a chance. And I said, well, actually, they're, they don't want to do it. And they're really asking me to do it. And I'm finding all these things every day to share. So she went to the school and met with my teacher and came up with a plan for me to go to a different grade every day and do show and tell. So it, it, that's, I always say that's where I got my speakers training because <laughs> I was a first grader going into a sixth grade class. Wow. And having to hold the attention of a room full of sixth graders. So I came in wearing a giant bush on my head that I had fashioned into a crown. 
and I was plucking gooseberries from this bush and saying, these are edible berries and they grow in our neighborhood and they're called gooseberries. Mm. And uh, I can still see all their faces just kind of just shocked. You know, here's this little girl with a giant bush on her head. <laughs> um, so the, um, the family took a turn when a neighbor started um, molesting my older brother who then in turn started molesting me. Mm. And so to escape this kind of nightmare, actually I was just writing about it, that it was the ultimate kind of quarantine mm-hmm. um, because it was my entire life changed seemingly overnight. My, my older brother who had been my best friend was now an abuser. Wow. And, you know, everyone else was playing outside in the same kind of games. And I was inside trapped in this kind of nightmare. Wow. And it went on for the rest of my childhood. So, um, but there were, of course, there were many miracles and I lived, I built a world to live in my imagination. I do not recommend this route. Of course, I do not say get abused so that you can create, but I built a world to live in that was other than the world I was living in. And I made best friends with a man in the neighborhood um, whose name was Mr. Boggs. And Mm. he was 80 years old and I was 10 years old at that time. And I used to go over to his house and do wheelies in in my bike, on my bike in his driveway. And he he got very, very... um, he just really loved me and wanted to teach me. And so he wanted to teach me to look close and look far. So he bought me a microscope and a telescope. Mm. And then he tried, he wanted to teach me to play chess, but I was too impatient and wiggly and I wouldn't listen. So that didn't work, but he was my best friend. And I went to his house every single day. And then my mom told me he was really sick and he was going to go in the hospital. And she wanted to warn me that she, she, he probably wouldn't be coming back. Mm. And I said, well, then I need to write something every day that he's in there and send it to him. So he knows how loved he is. Mm. And so every day I wrote things and, and I remember mailing all these misshapen packages to Mr. Boggs in the hospital. (laughs) And he did get out and he said, I think you saved my life. Wow. He said, no one else called or wrote while I was in there. Wow. He said, and I had to get out to see you. And I ran in the house and said, Mom, I'm supposed to be a beacon of hope and write books for the world. And then she said, eat your peanut butter sandwich. (laughs) Um, But I had this this most wonderful grandfather who was my one of my many mentors. And he we called him Bapa. And he knew about my spirit. He was assigning me to be the reporter on family vacations. And um, he actually had a tiny house built for me and delivered to our backyard. And it had sliding glass windows and electricity and linoleum floors. And I promptly moved in and wrote my first book that summer of my 10th year. Wow. Wow. What was the book about? Um, It was a loosely disguised abuse story. It was called Mice from Mars. And it was about a mouse that came from Mars to Earth and could not understand what was going on here and wanted to get out and go back home to Mars. Mm -hmm. And I, I like to tell people that the art in it isn't very different than the art I do today. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. How did it go from, you know, being this kid creating this book and art and, you know, to the point where you're an adult now, did, did, did you, did you just make the decision at that moment? This is what you were going to do. And you stuck to that was, did you give it up for a moment in your teens? And then, you know, 20 in your twenties, okay, I'm going to, like, what was the moment where you said, I'm going to write, I'm going to publish, and this is going to be my career. I'm going to do it. Or, or did it just continue from there? Because it's, you know, a lot of people have <laughs> dreams to write books, right? And, and many times, we let fear stop us. We don't. And so I'm just fascinated like how you turn this, 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 this creativity into sharing a gift with the world, you know, in such a unique way, because I've never, I have not seen books like yours, especially in the sort of the inspiration. So like nothing, usually it's very dry and written and, you know, lines and hundreds of pages. And 
when I first saw your books, I was like, what, what is this? Right. And, and so <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. And so I'm just curious, like how that happened, your transition happened. Like, tell me a bit about that. How, how that, uh, how you, how you built your career, you know, in, in, at least in the beginning stages as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I think it's really important to say for everyone listening and anyone that wants to do anything um, with their life and making decisions and how do they do things um, to not do it the way I did it, which was mm. to be uh, a procrastinator and perfectionist and someone who was filled with fear to the point where I remained silent from age 10 to age 35. Wow. So, yeah. And I mean, let's just say there was a lot of life living, but there was a lot of self-destructive behavior. I mean, I was an abuse survivor. When I was 16, I went to the library. I read, read Maya Angelou's book, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Mm. And I went to the library to hear her speak. And I went up to the table and there was the magnificent Maya Angelou. And I somehow got up the courage to tell her that my brother had molested me. And I'll never forget it because it changed my life. She put her hand over my hand and looked at me and said, you are all right. All right. Mm. Words changed the cells of my body. Wow. And I, in some way, knew that I was all right, that I had not been ruined by this experience and that I would, in fact, make something of it. So when I did make something of it, I called Maya Angelou to ask her to endorse my book. Wow. And that was a really scary thing because she had guards at the gate. I mean, she had these women who answered the phone and said, why should she endorse your book? You just called, you literally just and called I, her up. She said, she doesn't know you. And I said, well, I know her and this is how she changed my life. And I believe she will want to endorse this book. It's wow. a succulent wild woman and it has her poem phenomenal woman in it. And I believe she wants to. And they said, well, don't accept, anything and I said fine and we, we hung up and about a week later there this was still in the time of answering machines this was in the 90s and yes. I heard this booming voice Sark this is Maya Angelou wow <laughs> she, said, she said and I've written a, I've written a quote for your incredible book Oh my and gosh. She, and she went on, yeah, she went on to say, um, I can't remember it exactly at this moment, but it's, we need more and more Sark to fill every book bag in each attache case. Mm. Um, let's call for more and more Sark. Mm. And so, and then I was invited to be on a national television show in Canada with her. And that's a whole nother story. And, mm. you know, we became friends and she was a real mentor to me. And so thankfully, you know, I survived because yes. in my mid thirties, it's also common for people who've been abused to have start to have flashbacks to mm -hmm. all that happened. And I couldn't eat or sleep for two weeks. And I, during that terrible time, I attempted suicide mm. and thankfully it didn't work. And, um, I got help and started to get the extensive therapy that I really needed. And that therapy really continues to this day um, in various forms. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've gone on now to be able to teach and show others how to not be stopped by fear and not be stopped by inner critics and mm -hmm. to have connection with their inner, their inner wisdom, their intuition, whatever you, I call it, my inner wise self. Um, yes. And so I, I help other people share their unique gifts with the world. Amazing. In terms of fear, so I think fear is something that so often stops us. You know, we don't pick up the phone. Many of us, we would never go to just pick up uh, the phone and call Maya Angelou. And yet you did it. And so I'm curious, 
you were filled with procrastination, perfectionism, fear. What or how did you overcome that fear? And for those that might feel stuck in fear, fear of failure, fear of, you know, what people think, fear of, you know, being great, whatever the fear is, uh, what advice can you give to those that may be stuck in fear to actually be able to move through that and not let it stop them? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think, I think it's not as important to move through it mm. as it is to take any kind of, any kind of action. You know, I always say inspiration before action. So what I mean by that is to inspire yourself. You know, I knew that I was, I knew that this book would be something that she would love that would also spread her, not that she needed me, but that it would continue her legacy. Her legacy was being continued through me. Mm. And so um, I've since developed something that I call ask, ask again, ask differently. So in other words, you know, it's not just one big ask. It's any, it's any ask. And most of us are afraid to ask because we're afraid we won't get it. But yes. also, as you pointed out, we're afraid we will get it and we yes. won't know what to do with it. Mm. And so then we just don't ask. Mm. And so I would say, I will say right now that everyone listening and everyone, I would say 90% of people are not asking for a fraction of what they need to be asking for. Mm. A fraction. So if you, yeah, a fraction. I mean, I see it all the time. Every time we ask, something can shift. Something can happen. Every time we don't ask, nothing can shift. Nothing can happen. And, you know, we can get all caught up in fear. Yeah, it's scary. It was scary to call her. It was scary to hear those scary women. It was scary to have them tell me that she'd never call me back and there'd never be any endorsement. Yeah. And it's like, so what? Mm. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't ask with a rigid requirement of how the miracles will come. Mm-hmm. You ask because you must ask. And you ask because you have something to give or share. Mm. I mean, I, I could have held it against her. I could have said, well, I, I asked her and she never told, you know, she never replied back. That isn't asking. That's like conditional, you know, imprisonment. Yes. It's like, you know, you, it's, it's some kind of message of you owe me. And, you know, she didn't owe me anything. And mm. I didn't, you know, so all the people that ask me, I, I answer when it feels good or it feels right or I feel in some kind of flow or they've asked with open hands. Mm. They've asked with open hands and they've offered something. Mm. Mm. Gotcha. So ask, ask yeah, again, not, yeah. ask, ask differently. And, and basically, yes. don't, don't wait till we overcome the fear. Oh, no, you'll be dead. Right, right. What about, so, so, okay, I have a question. Like, I see your books are so different, you know, they're so unique. There's artwork, there's just like, I've never seen a spiritual self-help, trans, whatever inspirational book like it. I mean, how, 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 do you, how, how do you deal with, because I think anytime you put your art out there, something that is so dear to you, there is a, 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 a vulnerability of, you know, you're, you're putting a piece of yourself out there and you know, what will people think of me? What, what the critics and, 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 and how do you deal with that? Cause I think that's, that often stops us as well. You know, we, we work so hard. We don't want to be trampled on. We don't, we don't want people's negative opinions. And, and sometimes, you know, with social media, it, it can be brutal for a lot of us. And so how do you deal with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the first thing I'll say is that everybody, everybody has work to do on inner critics. Yes. Because if you don't do that primary foundational work, you will project those critics into the world. And when they speak, not you, of course, but a person, when, that per, when, 
when those people speak back in these terrible ways, mm. you can be really hurt and wounded. If mm. you have done your inner critic work, it can be almost hilarious what people will say back. Mm. You know, I mean, and I'll give you an example. I have an inspiration phone line. I've had it for 25 years. I created it so my readers had somewhere to talk to me about all the miracles and magic they were experiencing through Sark books. So thousands of people call this line from all over the world every month and we'll give the number at the end so people can have it. Um, but it's in all my books and I, I absolutely love having this line. And so, um, I can't remember how many years I'd had it, but somebody called one day and you could tell they were in some kind of office with a group of people and they didn't know they had just listened to the line and they didn't know they were still being recorded. Oh. And they began talking about me. And they began talking about me in the ways you would grade it, your greatest fear of your worst qualities of what someone would say about you. Oh, my God. And they talked about, you know, oh, yeah, she gained weight. Yeah, she's fat now. She, you know, <laughs> it, it, was, it was, you know, oh, yeah, she's, you know, and she's really got the rake out. She's just trying to constantly make money now that she's not mm -hmm. spiritual. I mean, they just, they were, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. And I was listening. I could not hang up the phone, <laughs> even though it was so negative. I, I felt that I had to hear everything. I didn't know what to do. And I finally hung up and I was, I was crying and I called my, this was by the way, many years ago now, I called my younger brother, who's one of my dearest people and is, is also an advisor to me in many ways. And his name is Andrew. And I said, Andrew, I have to tell you what just happened to me. So he listened and he was very sympathetic. And, and then he said, are you ready for some advice that isn't just feel good? And I said, Oh, well, okay, what? And he said, if you're going to get this upset about what people said about you that you don't know, you shouldn't have an inspiration line. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I got it and I thought, wow, I can't, I cannot think that there's going to, that everyone's going to love me and say loving things. There are going to be people who say awful, mean things, and I cannot let them into my head. So I took that story and I put it in one of my books. And I'm here to tell you that to this date, at least 500 people have said to me, I'm so sorry that I was talking about you to my office mates. We didn't know we were being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, and, and thankfully for great, you know, really great therapy, I learned that compliments and complaints yes. both have their, have their qualities and to take neither of them too seriously. Yeah, neither of them. You know, um, yeah, and, and I'm, you know, I've been writing about vulnerability. I've been writing vulnerable, vulnerably and about vulnerability for, you know, I don't know, 25 years now or 30 years. And, I think it's the ultimate safety because, mm. you know, first of all, the, you know, it's in our complete vulnerability lies our total safety because mm. I share all that I am, including all of my flaws and faults. And there isn't literally isn't anything that anybody could not know about me. I'm, I'm literally an open book. You put, you put, it, you put it out there. Mm. Yeah. And, and I'm not putting it out there to see who thinks what about it. I'm putting it out there for me. And then I'm honored that it helps others. And I put it out there primarily for me. And if, if someone is helped, I'm so glad if someone is made angry by it. Well, that's really not my business. Mm. Tell me, I had another question. But I just want to ride the wave of, of this. So, so, can understand so you say you put it out there not for others like you don't write for others you you just you, you, no you wait now, now my, my brain is getting confused and it might be a few people that might be wondering <laughs> like 
Because usually it's like, write for others, do it for others. You're saying no. You should, it, 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 hey, Sark, isn't, isn't this a little selfish? You're just writing for yourself? <laughs> shouldn't, you, shouldn't you be like serving others? Now you're like, wait, wait a second. I'm doing it for myself. Okay, you need to just break this down. Break this down. I, I, I want to I deeper understanding. Well, I think it's, it's primarily I write for myself so that I can be of use to others. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I think of it as self-full rather than selfish. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm here for the collective consciousness and all my books are created for that purpose, but I create them first for myself. I write what I most need to learn. I write what I most need to experience. I write what, life means to me and what it might mean to others. I write what scares me, what, what confounds me, what, Mm. Oh, I write, I write it all. I write my life so that others can be illuminated. Gotcha. Gotcha. I I get it. I get it. You talked about the inner critic. I just want to go back and, and understand like when I get the part about, you know, compliments and complaints from, external but the inner critic is inside of us and you know how do you how have you done the work or learned to deal with the inner critic and based on what you've learned i don't know if there's any steps if there's anything you do when the inner critic arises so that people can learn from your experience as to how do they deal with their own inner critic or their own self-doubt when they're working on something uh, like a book or an, an artistic project or something meaningful. So how can we deal with that? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I have, um, just so you know, sometimes people, when they hear there's an author and an artist and they think, well, that's, that's probably most of what she does. I also mentor people individually, privately. And I also have a membership, uh, which is called mm-hmm. succulent wild world. And in there, I, in both instances, I teach people how to manage their relationships with their inner critics. And what I mean by that, I've been studying and practicing and learning about this for 30 plus years. Um, when I first started reading um, about inner critics, I had to take helpless four-hour naps because my inner critics didn't want me to be reading about them. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, there's, there's wonderful writings by their names are Hal and Sidra Stone, and they've written an entire series of inner critic books, one of which um, is called Embracing Your Inner Critic. Highly recommend their work. Mm. Um, and then I went on to develop my own inner critic work through doing work with other people and with myself. So, first of all, inner critics aren't bad. We all have them. Um, we have many more than one of them. And people uh, are either so merged with their inner critics that they don't know that they're inner critics. So in other words, people will say, oh, I'm just a procrastinator, a perfectionist. That's what I've always been. I'm not understanding that it's inner critics. It's a part of them that's advising them inside of their head. So this is the part that people don't understand. And this is the work they haven't done. So I will share a very simple thing right now that you and everyone can do to circumvent inner critics and what they are saying. And I like things that are simple, that are short and that work. (laughs) I don't have time for long processes and, you know, complicated things. Mm. So this is called the one step. I like things that are either about movement or food or something fun. So I name things that are fun. So this is the inner critic one step. And you basically think of what you hear inside your head is, is what can be called an accusation. Right. So let's give an example. Um, you know, you, someone wants to, wants to have love in their life. They're probably going to be hearing some version of you'll never be able to have a good relationship. Mm. And by the way, inner critics love using words like never, always, um, should. They like to use exclamation points, you know. And these are, these are ambient messages that people recycle and recycle and recycle. 
unless they do something like what I'm about to describe. So they've heard an accusation that says you'll never be able to have a good relationship. And they believe it. And, and it comes out in all kinds of ways. They have terrible online dating experiences. They tell you terrible stories about the dates they went on and they were horrible. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, so people have the power to rewrite this. And it's called a counterstatement. And you're basically going to confront the accusation using your inner wise self and your power that you have. And I recommend that people use the word actually to start because actually is a power word. It creates a sovereign state in you. And so here's an example. You would say something like, actually, I've had many good relationships. I'm learning so much about love and practicing often and in new ways. I'm excited and inspired about my present and my future with love relationships. Okay. So the object is, to become more powerful than the accusation. And if people aren't ready, they need to practice this because if, when I work with clients or anyone, you can see, you can just see it. Someone will say the accusation and then they'll write what they think is a counterstatement, but their energy is the same. So in other words, they're just flat and they sound just like the accusation. So I get them to stand up. I get them to use their body. I get them to change the language until they feel that there's some buoyancy, that there is some change of state in their, in their consciousness so that they can be more powerful than that accusation. Then I have them cross out the accusation and amplify the counterstatement. So in other words, you would put away the accusation and you would, you would put that counterstatement up on your wall or your medicine cabinet or whatever, and you would get that into your subconscious. Mm. And what happens then is people start to guess what they all of a sudden they have good relationships. All of a sudden dating is easy. All of a sudden they feel like they can fall in love. All of a sudden those accusations are no longer running the best show. Mm. I love it. What if I have a question? What, what, what if, cause I think someone might be thinking this. What if let's say someone's like, Basak, I actually, I, 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 I I've never had a good relationship. I've been in maybe three relationships and they've all been like nightmares. They've all been terrible. So what if there's someone who doesn't have a reference from, from the past of anything good? How can they, uh, how, how, how would that work for them? Just so that they can, you know, just so that we can help that person. Sure. Sure. And there's, you know, the one step is a very short, although it does require practice and you know, there's, there's a lot to it. But I would say then that I would do a deeper look at mm. what is the pattern that's causing the person to choose in this way. Right. And, you know, it, it, there's always a deeper pattern and you can even dialogue with it. You can say, you know, what, what do I need to know about these three awful relationships? What's similar about them? Why did I choose them? what in my past or present or consciousness is causing this to keep repeating Mm. and begin to investigate and find out what this, what that has to, because so often people want to blame the relationship, but Mm. it's them that chose it. Mm. And so to get some support, get some help, you know, EMDR is a really good thing to do. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. um, a type of therapy that operates very quickly and you know, often in one, two or three sessions, you can solve something like that mm. and find out like what is, what is causing this pattern. Mm. So um, gotcha. thank you for asking. Gotcha. In terms of, I'm curious too, you know, uh, as an artist, as an author, um, I want to talk a bit about your relationship and what you can share abundance because i think one of the fears that people have of well if i if i follow what i love or my creative endeavor i'm going to be broke i'm not going to make money you know there's some you know sort of references of artists you know creatives be starving you know the starving artist sort of syndrome and so I'm, i'm curious myself like what your relationship with that has been you've obviously you know 
become successful and two million you know books in print and 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 so was there something you shifted within yourself to be able to sort of uh, open to abundance and success um, how can someone who uh, wants to kind of go in a creative direction uh, open to being abundant and allowing abundance in their life and not living in the, the sort of fear of scarcity because I think that can many times yeah. lock yeah. us you know in, in in a certain prison oh yeah and and if you think of the word scarcity, I always like to take it apart and it says it's literally scarcity mm. Mm. You know, you're literally them living in a scare city. So, yeah, I mean, this same grandfather that built the little playhouse for me in my backyard where I wrote my first book also told me when I was 14, get it, um, basically he said, do everything you can think of so you know what you don't want to do for the rest of your life. So take, get every job that you can. <clears throat> And I, I was an overachiever even then because between the ages of 14 to 26, I had 250 jobs. And how, how many? 250? 250, yes. And if they lasted more than four hours, I counted it, you know, like <laughs> I, had, I kept a little book. I was fired from most of the jobs. I quit the other ones and I found a lot of things I didn't want to do. And I finally said, I'm going to be an artist and writer, and I don't care if I have to starve. Mm. Well, that became true when I started, you know, eating ketchup sandwiches, and people were leaving food baskets at my door um, when they heard about, they didn't know that I was loving the ketchup sandwiches, by the way. Mm. Um, but the point is, I did become a starving artist, so then they Around 18, I went away to college and I met a multimillionaire in the Bahamas. And it's, of course, a much longer story, but he, he became obsessed with me. And I began going to New York and studying business with him, of all things. Wow. And I met all of these millionaires and billionaires, and they were just the unhappiest people I'd ever met. They mm. was inherited wealth and they, were, they, didn't, they weren't creative. They didn't. Um, have good lives and I thought that money was the problem so I opted out of the money system and wow. for 10 years I lived on barter and trade huh. so from about you know I think I was about 25 when I dry, 26 when I had my last job 26 to 35 so almost 10 years I lived on barter and trade and I learned to ask for miracles I learned to receive miracles. It was really a massive training wow. for everything that started coming out in the Stark book mm. in those, in those later years. So, um, I learned a lot about, and, and then of course I learned that the money was never the problem. Mm. They were the problem. Their consciousness was the problem. And if I wanted to be a happy and conscious millionaire, why didn't I do that? So I could help other people make money. Mm. Why, why was I thinking that only I could make money? Mm. So I expanded my consciousness. I stepped into prosperity and I began literally creating money. Mm. Was, was there a, Which I do to this day. was there a key sh a shift in terms of a belief or something in terms of what, what you open to? Cause you talk about expanding your consciousness and stepping into prosperity. And I'm curious, was there, was there a belief you adopted? Was there something that made that difference inside? Uh, and and, and, for those, yeah. and for those listening, how can they make that sort of prosperity shift uh, inside of yes. them as well? Yeah. Yes. I think, it's, I think it was a lot to do with feeling worthy of money. I know that sounds odd, mm. but I, you know, I didn't think that, I was worth it or I didn't think that what I created was worth it or what I had to offer was worth it. Mm. And so I believed that story and then I acted it out, you know, so that when I first started selling my work, it sold for very little. And when I tried to, you know, I sent things out and they were rejected and, 
I felt like I was living on less than a shoestring. You know, I was literally living on nothing. Mm. And I thought, well, first of all, this, this is not contributing to the world's abundance. Yes. You know, this is, if I believe that the world is an abundant place, I'm not um, embodying that. In mm. fact, I'm embodying the opposite. I'm telling people that it's okay to starve, and I'm telling people that there's not enough, and I'm telling people that I live in scare cities. And so I decided, why don't I step into what I do know that I have to offer fully? Why don't I give all of my creative gifts from my biggest, fullest heart and go full speed ahead and give it all, give it all, give it all. And I gave it my all, and that's what I did. And the world turned eagerly towards me and, you know, showered me with money. (laughs) I'm laughing because it, 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 it sounds magical the way you say it, you know, it's just well, the world showered me with, with money. I'm actually feeling the, the vibration of that sort of showering. I'm opening to that. I hope everyone is opening to that. Because, you know, I was going to ask, so maybe this is like a, a, a personal selfish question, but I, maybe you'll benefit someone else too. You know, as an author, I mean, you know, I launched my first book, became a national bestseller, but I know... You know, at least I had, it, it, it's, it's not easy. Like selling books is not easy, at least in my experience. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's anyone who has sold some books. I, I've, I've learned to have a deep respect for. Uh, and so, you know, you're someone, 2 million books in print or sold. And this is like astronomically like incredible. As an author to an author, I'm like, wow, that is uh, that's amazing. And so what's the secret? What was the secret? Was there a secret? Was there like a secret source that you could share with me and those listening? Like, what was the secret to selling 2 million books? You know, like, wow. And you know, I would love that for my next book or for my next few books. Was there something? Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe there wasn't anything and you might just say it just happened. But I, I'm like, if there was a secret you have, yeah. I would like to know. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, and I don't really believe in secrets. So I'll tell you right out in the open, it's back to what I already said. It's it's give with your whole heart and your whole being and find ways to give even more. If, if there's less, you know, when there were less sales, I went, because believe me, when I started, I started with one little baby book that had a, a $1,200 advance, which I used to hire lesbian carpenters to build a loft bed in my magic cottage. (laughs) (laughs) So, and, and when I went to do an event, there'd be two people sitting there. So that, that happened. Those days happened, but Mm -hmm. I paid no attention to them because I was giving with my whole heart. So I loved my book so unreasonably. I loved what I was sharing so fully and so completely that I did not let factual reality have any effect on me. Mm. So I multiplied sales with my heart. Mm. Mm. I love that. And I see people, you know, yeah. Mm. And I had, there were people that came to me to want to learn how to sell more I had this guy that had so much money. He was, uh, anyway, he had this book coming out and he wanted me to consult with him on how to sell more books. And I said, do you love your book? And I'll never forget it. He looked at me and said, well, it was a lot of work. And I said, yeah, yeah do you love your book? And he said, well, I think it has really good things for people. Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, well, do you love your book? And he said, well, you know, I, I, have, I got the largest advance ever given by Simon & Schuster. I said, yeah, well, do you love your book? And he said, well, you know, we're estimating a rollout of 75000 to start. And I said, yeah, do you love your book? Well, to see where this is going, he never answered and he never loved his book. And guess what? His book fell flat. He had New York Times. He had all these people write articles. It didn't mean shit because his book was stupid. His book was not his whole heart. His book was not his whole heart. Mm, mm. I love that. Do 
I love my book. Mm. Yeah, and we really love it. When we mm. love people, it's unconditional. We don't turn away if they have an illness. We don't turn away if they fall down and break their ankle. We don't turn away if they don't drive a good car. We don't turn away if they get fat. We don't turn away. But people will turn away so conditionally from a book. I mean, I see it all the time. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. same wonderful younger brother, Andrew, told me one time, he, my brother is many things, one of which is a nearly professional bowler. And I say that because he doesn't want to play the professional game, but he has, he has bowled, you know, multiple 300 games, perfect wow. strikes, you know, all of them. And he says he can tell about a person, anything about a person by how they bowl. Hmm. And guess what? Guess what he saw in me? He said, you stutter step up to the lane and you don't follow through. Mm. And he said, if you can change those two things, you will not only increase your bowling score, you will increase your life score. So I started, I started starting more confidently and finishing, you know, I followed through. So, Mm. you know, this is what love does too. We don't turn away. Like if the book results are disappointing, we don't stop. We say, okay, you know, what will get that up? What can we do? I'm going to do a Facebook live. Well, I'm going to do a gathering. I'm going to offer to, you know, just whatever you would do with your whole heart. Whole heart. I love that. Yeah, I think, I think when we do that, it's felt, right? It, it creates an energy, it creates a vibration, it creates an alchemy, and uh, people feel it. Yeah. People feel it. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I was sitting, you know, at the, at the height of when I was asking for this kind of thing. I was asking people to send me letters from their heart. I was getting, you know, in some cases, six, seven, eight thousand letters a month. Wow. Wow. Is it, is it, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't understand what it was going to mean that I had to, you know, open them and read them and store them. And I loved them and I didn't know what to do with them, mm. you know. So, mm. but I loved it. You know, it was incredible. Is, it, is, there, is there something that you've asked for, Sark, that you might share with us real quick that was so outrageous, so bold that it was, you know, even a little crazy, but you asked for it and it happened. There was there anything like that. that yes, just, yes, to, just to inspire, just I'm to so kind happy. of inspire us, you know, like to, yes. to break out of what we think is possible. I want to, I want to, yes, yes. blows our minds just to kind of open us to possibility. Yes. Yeah. Go for it. Yes. All right. Well, here, here it is. When I was, uh, how old was I? I guess I was 50. Was I 60? I might have been 60 years old when mm. I asked for great love in my life. And oh. I met my great love. And I met him at an Abraham cruise. And he told me his name was John. And he was a psychologist and an author. And he told me he was qualified to adore me. Whoa, 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 qualified yeah. to adore you. I mean, that is a line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is a line. And it stole my heart. And I, he moved in a month after we met and we got engaged and we lived together for three and a half years. And we wrote a book together called Succulent Wild Love. Mm. And we shared everything we learned about love with each other and for the world and the day we turned the book in he got a stomach ache and we went to the hospital and i heard that he had stage four cancer and it was inoperable and he died in my arms nine months later wow and that almost killed me i mean i just couldn't even imagine it was my worst fear that what if you really love someone and you find them and then they just die. What? So I started writing my new book, which is called Living Mostly Wonderful, The Surprising Gifts of Terrible Things. And here comes the big ask that I did. I said, world, I want another great love. Wait, wait, wait. Only wait, now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 
you, you got to slow down. But you, I, I want to get to this great love. But, but just before we go there, you had this huge love. I mean, just all in. He dies. Okay. I mean, I heard you correctly. He like that is yeah. totally heartbreaking. Firstly, how did you deal with that? I mean, that is is enough yeah. to shatter someone, make them better, and never want love again. So, yeah. Before before we yeah. continue, just just how did you deal with that? How did you yeah. manage to well, get through that? I called it. I call it to this day, deeply grieving and wildly living both because I saw them like bird wings, each supporting the other. And I set about learning how the brain grieves. And I got a mentor to teach me. She's a wonderful woman named Christina Rasmussen. And she has written a book. She's changing the entire landscape of grieving because she's teaching people and she's now teaching the world because her courses are now going to be offered in hospitals and hospices. And I can't say enough about her, mm. but I hired her to help. And I began embarking on how could I deeply grieve and wildly live and how, what was it for my future that I wanted? And what I most wanted was another great love. Wow. So are you ready to hear how that happened? I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm stunned in a beautiful way. And now break it down. <laughs> yeah. So, so I asked the world and I hired a love coach and I started doing, you know, love coaching. I started reading. I started all these things and I was in despair. I mean, mm -hmm. it was the worst grief. It was so, it was everything everybody says. You're shattered. You, your whole life feels over. You just don't even think you can breathe or go on. And, you know, but at the same time, at his celebration of life, I asked people to invite me to things. I said, don't let me stay in some kind of waiting room of grief. Yes, yes. Invite yes. me to things. Invite me to live. And from all over the world came invitations. You know, I have a house in Lake Tahoe I want you to use. Come and stay with us in uh, Ohio and we'll cook you soup while you walk in the cornfield. You know, mm. all these invitations poured in and I started accepting them. Mm. And I started going everywhere. All these miracle, all these miracles happened. And I started, I was night snorkeling with manta rays in Hawaii I was swimming with the wild dolphins and then I would be sobbing in my hotel room later. I mean, this is how I did it with this deeply grieving and wildly living. Two years after John died, I'd finally decided I was done with the love coaches. I was done with online dating and I put my whole heart into something I wrote called I'm dating the world. Mm. And I said, I'm done looking for, quote, romance. I'm romancing the world. I'm walking in the apple blossoms. I'm in the cherry blossoms in Vancouver. I'm on a private ranch in Big Sur. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm reading all the poetry in my house upside down. You know, I'm just, <laughs> you know, I'm just in love with life and I'm dating the world. Wow. And, you know, 800 people or something answered that and said, I'm doing that too, or I want to do that too. Mm. And on May 21st, two years ago, um, remember the inspiration phone line? Yes. That I mentioned earlier? Yes. I got a message. Uh -oh. And the message said, I just read this piece called I'm Dating the World. It was a man calling and he said, I love that you live that way. And then he said, I love you. 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 And then he said, and then he said, is that too, is this too much? And he said, I love you. I love you. I love you. By the way, my name's David. Give me a call if you'd like. I've read your books for years and just loving how you're living. Wow. I thought this guy is either my soulmate or maybe he's nuts. Oh, he's but nuts. But I'm calling him. Okay. Yeah. And I'm calling him 
And I called him back and we talked for two hours. We, I think we laughed for the first five minutes with no subject. Hmm. And over the course of three months, we fell in love. We became friends and fell in love only on the telephone. He was living in Massachusetts. I live in San Francisco. Mm. And we decided to meet for the first time in Massachusetts, and we called it our first honeymoon. We decided to skip the marriage and go straight to the honeymoon. Mm. And I met him in person physically for the first time, and he had prepared his whole home as a honeymoon suite with all my favorite food. And he replaced the hot tub water with from chlorine to bromine. He bought a new canoe paddle. And I proceeded to live there with him for two weeks. And um, there's a whole story about, of course, a longer story about how that all developed, but he moved in with me in San Francisco a year and a half ago, and we're celebrating our two, two year anniversary this month. And he's, oh, he's my great love. That. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like a movie and a trilogy. It's like a trilogy movie right now. I'm like, amazing, amazing, amazing. Folks, if you're listening, if you're listening yeah. to this, I hope your hearts, everyone's hearts, is blown wide open in terms of the possibility of what it is to live, you know, as, as you talk about such a succulent, wild, you know, juicy life. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. Well, I, I hope to meet you in person one day and, uh, you know, meet him. Yeah, you can meet David, too. You will love, love David. I would but love he, to meet him. And I'll just say, I'll say a note about him. He's a, uh, he's a former movie producer, um, major feature film and lived in Malibu for most of his life and went back to help the family business and is literally an angel of love. He's a creative genius. And so it is like a movie living with him. And I just can't rave enough about it. And John, darling John from the afterlife came to tell me that David was coming. And I thought, I didn't want to hear it. I thought it was just made up bullshit. And he came through two different mediums talking to two friends of mine, burst into their sessions and said, you have to tell Susan that her partner is coming. Mm. So, you know, I just want people to know that death is not what we think it is. Mm. And the afterlife is real and death is not what we think it is. And John wants everyone to know that everything is good and we are all on the right track for the changes that need to occur, which does not minimize what's going on right now, but is to say another perspective. Yeah, I love that. I love it. Amazing. Wow. You know, it's just been such an inspiring conversation with you and I feel like we could talk forever and hopefully, you know, we'll have you back and a part two to the conversation. Uh, just, just final question, you know, final question. If, if the, and you've shared so much, so generously. So again, thank you for just pouring your heart and yourself into us all today. Uh, some of these might overlap, but if you were to just distill, if there were like three key life lessons, maybe the most important things, you know, in quick nuggets that you feel you've, you've learned in your life that if you'd only pass these three things on to the next generation, I'm just curious, like what would the three things be that you would pass on to you know, the children and the grandchildren of the world that would evolve the next generation the most. Three, three sock insights, three sock wisdoms, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, first has to be ask, ask again, ask differently. Mm. And ask more. <laughs> so mm. that's all one. Ask mm. more, ask again, ask differently, ask, ask. Love it. Um, number two is connect with your inner wise self, inner wisdom, higher self, pure positive energy, whatever you call it, and let it empower you to take actions in the world that are different than your personality self. Mm. Your inner wise self is unconditionally loving and knows way more than you do. Mm. So that's number two. And number three, I'm torn between transform your inner critic relationships so that you're not held back by these entities, these parts of you. I'm torn between that and create, create. So I think I'm going to go with create. Mm. So 
create what you create, what you came here to create. Your unique self doesn't exist anywhere else. There's only one of you. And all creative dreams need a human channel to bring them down to earth. And that human channel is you. And especially if you're scared, go forward. Mm, I love that. So I think we're, I think we're just, I we just go, go ahead. I think we're just going to have four, you know, transformed in a critical relationship and create. Yeah. Let's just, you know, okay, this, this, this is a conversation of abundance, right? So let's, let's go for four. <laughs> okay, good. I love it, folks. You, you've been given some of the, the four wisdoms from the amazing Sark here. And, uh, I just want to assign a homework to everyone while we're here uh, and begin wrapping the conversation. I want everyone, each, each of you that are listening in, to really think about uh, key number one, which is ask. Uh, the power of asking. Ask again. Keep asking. Ask more. Ask different. And feel into where you need to, to ask in your life. What would be a bold ask in your life? And open your hearts. And as a homework assignment, in the next 24 hours, 48 hours, I'm going to ask you to ask big. I'm going to ask you to reach out and ask folks. So let me know how that goes. Wow. So this was, uh, I'm on fire. My heart is blown wide open. Uh, I want everyone to find out more, connect with you and your work and what you're up to and your amazing books. And so a couple of things like what's the best way people can find out about your work in terms of website. I think you mentioned this, there may be a gift you have for everyone. They can find that. We can put all these links. In I, the yeah. Just let us know how people can connect with you and your work. Yeah, I have it. 18-page full-color book called Micromovement Miracle Method. Mm. Do more of what you want more often and easily. And it's my method that I created 30 years ago to do all of my dreams and still avoid and procrastinate and be afraid. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm here to say, I'm here to say that it, 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 it's just the most fun, easy, amazing method. And that book is available to you. There'll be some, you'll tell people how to get it. Um, yes. And then I also, I'm doing a deeply grieving, wildly living retreat um, mm. so that people can learn to alchemize the terrible and wonderful things into a brand new healing mixture. Mm. And it's for an afternoon on Saturday, the 13th of June. And I'm just thrilled about it. So wow. Well, and, and where, can, where, can people find, yeah, where can people find out? Is that in person? Is that uh, online? Where it's can a virtual, it's an, it's an online, um, very intimate, very interactive with me, mm. with brand new things from my book, Living Mostly Wonderful, The Surprising Gift of Terrible Things. Mm. Um, and that will be, I don't know the link for that either, but all of it, it comes from my planet, planetstark.com. <laughs> um, and then oh we promised to give the inspiration line so let's make sure people know that yes, it's yes. Uh, available 24 hours a day it's completely free 415-546-3742 once again 415-546 and if you like words it spells the 3742 spells epic E-P-I-C 415-546-3742 this is an inspiration line so people just they just call in and leave a message or how does that work? Just so well, they're invited. They're invited to either listen and hang up or they're invited to leave a message. I read, uh, usually read a poem. I might cry. I might sing. I mm. might say something I'm learning. It, it's real. It's, you know, so often people say, I can't believe it's really you. And this is real. <laughs> mm. um, it's my dearest joy to listen. I, I, I like to say that I'm listening to the collective consciousness of the world and um, I listen carefully and I write books as a result. I love it. I love it. Folks, you heard it. You heard it from the amazing Sark herself. What an inspiration. Uh, PlanetSark.com uh, is the website. I really encourage all of you to check out her books check out her work succulent wild woman succulent wild love glad no matter what and all the books she has available susan ariel rainbow kennedy aka sark amazing amazing <laughs> you know what it, you, you, 
you know, sometimes you, you, re you read people's works and then you meet them and it's like, oh, they're cool, but you have gone beyond and exceeded any, any sort of concept I had of who you were. So it's just such a joy. Thank you for just being who you are. You know, thank you for just sharing your love. Oh, thank you for coming on Soul Talk. Thank you. You're a blessing. And thank you for being that succulent wild man that you are and that creator that you are and that generous soul talking. Thank you. Thank you. Sending you so much love. Folks, we'll put all of the uh, info in the show notes. Send me an email, cooplaxon at cooplaxon.com. I want to know your key takeaways from today's episode and how the homework assignment of asking is going. Uh, please download this episode, subscribe, share it with all your friends. I think everyone could benefit and be inspired from the amazing episode today. And I will see you in the next episode of Soul Talk. Love now, everybody. Big hugs. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at cooplaxon.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.